Hello, and welcome to Carmel Presbyterian Church's podcast channel. Open up a Bible or just listen in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you. Notice this week I didn't actually say sit down because I'm going to read to you first. So why don't you go ahead and just, uh, today is actually about Scripture. So let's stand as I read to you a passage in Scripture about Scripture. This is from 2 Timothy chapter 3. Paul writing to Timothy, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Would you be seated, please? If you saw your bulletin, it's got a really cool picture of the door of the Wittenberg Church, which will come up in a little while, only that's actually, it's been covered in metal, um, but it originally was wood. I want you to imagine um, most, one of the most vivid dreams you've ever had, and you had it last night, Okay. Uh, you're probably like me, sometimes you remember your dreams, sometimes you don't. But this one was so vivid, and you woke up so terrified that you recorded the dream as best you could. You talked about it into your smartphone so you'd have a record. And in your dream, you're in a jungle in a faraway country, and you've been told that it's very dangerous, and there are bandits who, who rob and kidnap and kill people, and you're periodically hearing gunshots off in the distance, and sometimes they feel like they're getting closer and you're alone, and you're hurrying frantically along a dirt road trying to get to safety. Now, part of your mind, you're like this when you dream, part of your mind's going, how did I get in this mess? What, you know, I just seem to make all kinds of dumb choices in my dreams but, and, and, you know, ruin my life. But then I wake up, ah. So, but you come to a fork in the road, and there's a man sitting there on a log. So you ask him, does either road lead to safety? Oh, yeah, one does, he says. Well, where's the other go? Goes into the bandits' territory. No one who takes the wrong road escapes them. Well, could you please tell me which road I should take? And he just has this tiny, sly smile on his face and doesn't say anything. Now, some of you are probably remembering that kind of classic um, riddle where it goes something like this. You're on an island, and there are two groups of people on the island. One always tells the truth. The other always lies. You come to a fork in the road. You get one question, one question only. You have to ask them a question in such a way that either way you get the information that you, you need and you can say something like a double question. If I were to ask you, is the road to the right, the road to safety, would you say yes? And that, that'll, that'll fix you in that kind of a situation. This isn't like that. <laughs> you hear gunshots. They're closer. You're terrified. You're desperate to get to safety and the man is just looking at you with a sly little smile. How can you possibly know if you can trust him? How can you possibly know which way to go? Your life hangs in the balance. This dream is not really a dream. It's actually the spiritual reality for most people today. In terms of physical danger, we live in one of the safest places in the history of the world. In terms of spiritual danger, we live in one of the most perilous. People are not just at a simple fork in the road. 
they're at multiple roads that are possibilities. And there's no even sense of urgency because they're watching all these people go happily down roads and they ask them, well, which is the right road? And what do they say? All roads lead to the same place. Do you think those people know what they're talking about? How would they know? Have they ever been to heaven with God? Do they know how reality works? Do you think Jesus knows what he's talking about? Here's what he said. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, but the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. There's a way that leads to life. There's a way that leads to destruction. So clearly, according to Jesus, not all roads go to the same place. How can you know which road to take? How can you know who to trust? What information is reliable? Well, here's what the Bible claims about itself. We read it a moment ago, but I want you to read it out loud with me this time, okay? Let's read it together. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. God has given you a reliable written document. God speaks to you authoritatively whenever the scriptures are read or whenever they're explained accurately. He tells you how to have a loving, gracious relationship with Him. He tells you how to love other people. And although much of the Bible is very clear, that's not enough. You see, every one of us in this room is broken. And whenever the Bible tells us something that's going to maybe make a sacrifice or maybe not be our preference, then our natural bent is to resist it. Not only are we broken, we live in a society that's broken and society that doesn't want the Bible to tell them that they can't have sex with whoever they want, that they can't be greedy, that they can't do whatever it is that they're most comfortable doing. So our society re resists it. And the Bible says that the devil actually exists and that for people who have not yet understood the gospel, the Bible says that the devil actually blinds them. Let me read it to you. We'll put it on screen. First, Paul talks about his, his practice in ministry. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. So Paul's not going to tamper with God's word. He talks straightforwardly to people's conscience. He knows that the truth, empowered by the Spirit, that's key, is plenty. But then he goes on to say, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world, that's the devil, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So in the case of people who have not yet, not that they might in the future, but have not yet understood the gospel, Paul is saying that supernatural evil is blinding them. So for all of these reasons, supernatural evil blinding people, our society pushing back against whatever the scriptures may say, our own hearts not wanting to believe it when it's something that isn't our preference or makes a sacrifice, for all of those reasons, it is not enough to merely have a reliable written document. We also need the Holy Spirit. 
And that's one of the very strong things that will come out in this series. We are now in a series starting today on the Reformation, on the great truths that came out during the Reformation period starting in 1517. And the period goes for about 150 years, and we'll look at some of those things. With all of that being said, today what we find happens because the Holy Spirit is working is that there is a remarkable amount of agreement between the people who believe that the Bible is actually God's reliable, authoritative word. This diagram, uh, I like to use this. We talk about things that are essential in the middle and important peripheral and speculative. Every month I get together with three other pastors, and they're from independent conservative churches, not Presbyterian, but they believe the Bible's reliable. And when it comes to the essentials, we are in total agreement about Jesus being the Son of God, the unique divine Son of God, part of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, about the necessity of believing in Him in order to be right with God, about the Spirit coming into people's lives, about the necessity to obey God, because that's what we do when we love Him. All of these things we, we see together, but we, we disagree about some of the important things, like how do you want to run a church? Do you want to have a senior pastor in charge? Do you want a bunch, you want a bunch of elders in charge? Who do you baptize, infants or adults only? Uh, is, the, is, the, is communion merely symbolic, or is there something mystical happening there? So we don't agree about all those things, and we're fine. We have an awful lot in common. In our previous denomination, most of the pastors in our presbytery didn't believe that the Bible was reliable, not in the way that we do, and the way that these other pastors in conservative evangelical country, uh, churches all over this country do, and I meet up with them at conferences and various things like that. We have a lot in common. But although I was from the same denomination with similar requirements and training as the ones in our former denomination, I had much less in common with them than I do with pretty much all the pastors I meet who believe that the Bible is reliable like we do, because the Holy Spirit is very effective. We don't agree about all of the important things, but we agree about the essentials. We don't agree about all the peripheral things, but we agree about a lot of them. How did we get here? Where pastors in the same denomination with the same training don't have much in common. We're not like that now in our current denomination, but that was the experience in the former one. How did we become a society where most people just pick and choose what they want to believe from any number of different sources. How did we become a society where many churchgoers simply ignore whatever is said that they don't like or find inconvenient? See, strange as it seems, these are all unintended consequences of the Reformation period. They didn't have to come out that way. I don't think so but they're unintended consequences of the manner in which the people involved, all, virtually all the major players, related to the people with whom they disagreed. So in this series, we want to really solidify the principles of the Reformation in our beliefs, in our biblical worldview, but we want to avoid the pitfalls that literally ripped most of Western Europe apart during the Reformation period. Now, today we're looking at what is really the foundational principle. 
sola scriptura, scripture alone. Trying to figure out if you're at a crossroads or many different roads, what's reliable? How are you going to decide what's good and evil? Whether or not you need to believe in Jesus or not, who he is, how are you? And we believe that the scripture is not the only source, but it is the source with priority. Martin Luther is considered to be the father of the Reformation. 500 years ago, he was a Catholic monk. Now, he had originally been going to become an attorney, and his parents were disappointed when he became a Catholic monk. But he worked and studied harder than all the other monks. But when a close friend of his died, he started thinking of God's judgment, and he became terrified. Because in what he had been taught, he had no way to be sure that he was going to be forgiven by God. Because he'd been, he'd been taught that his salvation depended on both Jesus dying for him on the cross and also the transformation of his heart, that he needed to become someone who was not a sinner. And that his sins would only be forgiven if they were confessed to a priest. So he would go to, another, to a priest in this place where he was working. Um, he was a professor of, of the Bible. And he would confess for hours, little teeny things. And he just wore this guy out. And finally he said, would you please come back, Martin, when you got something bigger to confess? But he was terrified of the thought of the judgment of God and that he had no way to be sure he was right with God. So as he studied the Bible, he reached the conclusion that he had been taught inaccurately. On October 31st, 1517, 500 years ago next month, he nailed 95 statements or theses on the door of the church in the town of Wittenberg. That's the picture on your thing, only it was wood, not metal. That's to protect it. In that culture, nailing these statements there, that, was, that functioned like the bulletin board for the city. And it was inviting people to debate what he was saying. Now, Martin Luther was not trying to divide the church. He was convinced that there were some very problematic abuses, but he wasn't alone. Lots of people in the Catholic Church felt the same way. Also, Martin Luther didn't have it all figured out in 1517. He was working on it. His theology was developing as he taught his students the Bible, as he debated with people, as he wrote pamphlets, which, because of the printing press, were distributed widely. So in June, about a year and a half later, 1519, he goes to Leipzig to debate Johann Eck, who was a prominent Catholic theologian. And Eck does not debate Luther about whether or not his beliefs are biblical. What he says is, your beliefs are the same as John Huss. He's already been declared as a heretic by the church, so you're wrong. And at first, Luther denies that he believes the same things as Huss. But then they have a lunch break, and he goes over to the library, and he reads up on Huss, and he comes back, and he says, actually, he agrees a lot with what Huss taught. And Johann X point is the church authorities have already condemned those beliefs. So if Luther's convinced that what he's teaching is clearly from the Bible, but it goes against what the church authorities had said, then he has to make a choice. And he chooses the Bible over the church authorities and tradition. And he codified his belief with the phrase sola scriptura, which translates as scripture alone. And that's what we're looking at today. And the concept Scripture alone does not mean that God never communicates to you through a dream or a vision or a friend or a pastor or circumstances. It doesn't mean that at all. What it means is that Scripture alone is our ultimate authority, not, especially 
it, he meant it to contrast it with the Roman Catholic belief that it was both Scripture and tradition and that the, the Pope and the church councils had the right and the authority to make authoritative interpretations of Scripture, just like they had when John Huss was condemned. He was burned at the stake, by the way, but there's lots of things that go on on everybody's side of uh, very violent things. Um, now, I realize that a number of you are Catholics or, ha or were Catholics, and as we look at the beliefs that came out of the Reformation and the Reformation period of history, I will try to be careful and accurate and gentle about anything I say about Catholic beliefs. Um, many, many Catholics were also concerned, not just the, Protest the guys that became Protestants. They just disagreed with the Protestants wanting to, um, to, to disallow the Pope and the councils from authoritatively interpreting the Bible. Uh, the Catholic Church goes on a few decades later to address many of the same issues. They get their priests to lead holier lives. They educate them more. Uh, the bishops stop being absentee bishops. They have to be there. They, they get their priests to be hardworking, helpful priests like they wanted them to be. So the Catholic Church is much better after the Council of Trent, which is where it takes place over many years, and that's where they decide a bunch of these things. It's sometimes called the Counter-Reformation because they actually put a, an English school in Italy and a German school in Italy where they train priests in English to go back to Britain, which is now Protestant, and German to go back to the Lutheran areas in Germany, both to serve the Catholics that are still there and also to evangelize. And it's very dangerous in England for the Catholics that go and do that. Some of them are killed. In recent months, as I prepared for this series, twice I have listened to 36 lectures by Brad Gregory. He's a Catholic history professor, a scholar. He's an award-winning professor at Stanford, and now he's a chaired professor at Notre Dame. So I learned a great deal from him, and he's very balanced, and I will try to be balanced as well, although there's clearly some things that we uh, disagree with Catholics about. There were people on all sides of the Reformation, Lutheran, Catholic, Calvinist, Anabaptist, who at times behaved in ways that we would at the very least consider unwise. Sometimes they behaved in ways that we would consider deplorable on every side of the issue. And both their beliefs and their conduct had ramifications that they did not intend. Actually, if they looked at the outcome in our society today, they would be aghast. They would find it deplorable. Now, if those of you who are here regularly, much of the time I will talk to you about understanding the context, the milieu in which the New Testament was written. So we'll look at the ancient world and try and understand the, the uh, culture. And I believe that that is probably the most important historical culture for people who want to understand the Bible to also study. I think the second most important historical period is the Reformation period because the, the impact that it has had on us, our beliefs, and our society, are, it's huge. And so we're going to try and point that out as we go on. The Catholic theologians and authorities were afraid that there would be a proliferation of heresy with all these people reading the Bible and coming up with theology, just wrong, damaging beliefs. They felt that the church really needed to have the authority to make the final interpretation of the Scriptures so that it would be in alignment both with the Scriptures and the tradition that had been passed down. Their fears came true. 
Protestant groups proliferated. There were some that were just bonkers, uh, especially during one period of time in, in England. However, for the most part, today, the difference between most Protestant churches that actually believe the Bible is reliable, they're not nearly as significant as they were considered back then. So a lot of good things have happened. Although Luther's 95 Theses in 1517 is considered the kickoff for the Reformation, others joined in. One very important person that started in Switzerland a couple years later was uh, Ulrich Zwingli. And Zwingli used sausage to make his point about the Scriptures because during um, Lent, you were only allowed, by the tradition, you were only allowed to eat fish and vegetables. And so in uh, Zurich, they had a uh, sausage party. And back then, the civil authorities would fine you if you went against Lent. But they only fined him nominally, and it was the kickoff for then a pamphlet that Zwingli wrote defending that sausage wasn't you know, banned in the Bible, and then a debate that happened in the following year, and basically about a year later, the whole area is saying, yeah, Scripture is our authority. So he used sausage for that. Um, Zwingli was a very important man. He emphasized that the Bible is very clear on the essentials. And we see that still today as we interact with Christians from a variety of denominations that people feel like it's clear, just as the ones that I meet with do. Now, Zwingli, Luther, and Calvin emphasize that when the Bible is explained accurately, God is speaking to those listening through the preacher. Luther put it like this, I behold only a man before me, but I view the picture correctly if I add that the voice and words of the pastor are not his own words in doctrine, but those of our Lord and God. Luther then cites Jesus' words to his disciples, the one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. If you had a vision or a dream tonight in which Jesus appeared to you and told you to go sit on a certain bench down overlooking Carmel Beach tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. because God was going to speak with you, would you be there at 6 a.m.? Of course you would. The point of the Reformers in Sola Scriptura, Scripture alone, is that God has and is, has been and is speaking to you. He may speak to you through visions or dreams or circumstances or nudges or friends, but He has promised that He speaks to you through the reading of Scripture and whenever they are accurately explained. But most churchgoers in America simply ignore any parts of a sermon they don't like or don't agree with. Do you do that? See, Jesus said that his sheep hear his voice and follow him. Luther, Calvin, Zwingli, the biggest names in the Reformation, would all say that when you hear a preacher accurately explaining God's word, you need to look past the preacher and hear God. Now, some preachers are more engaging, some less. Some sermons come across better, some worse. But if you had a dream next Saturday night and Jesus said to you, I'm going to speak to you through the preacher on Sunday, pay attention and put it into practice, would you take this time more seriously? Would you be like most people who, no, nah, didn't convince me, mm, nah, mm -mm, mm -mm. 
didn't change my mind, just going to keep doing what I've been doing? Or would you hear the voice of your Savior speaking through, now hear me clearly, a frail, sinful instrument and telling you what you need to do to become more like Him and to love well? One of my favorite stories in the Old Testament, some of you will get this as I get into it, um, speaks very apropos to this. In the Old Testament, a king hires the prophet Balaam to go and curse the people of Israel who are numerous and taken over all this territory. And as Balaam is going on his donkey, um, an angel of the Lord with a sword is blocking the path. And the donkey, she can see the angel, but Balaam can't. And so the donkey veers off into the field. And Balaam doesn't know what's going on. He hits it with his staff and they get back on track. So the angel goes on ahead and this time he gets between two walls. So the donkey goes way over to the side and actually scrapes Balaam's foot on one of the walls so that he's out of reach of the angel and Balaam hits the donkey. So the next time the angel goes up in the front, and up, up, in, up ahead of them and he finds a place where it is just this narrow thing that, that, that they can't slip by. And so the donkey just lies down. And Balaam is just ticked, and he hits the donkey, and he says, and then the donkey is given the ability by God to speak. And he says, what have I done to you that you've struck me these three times? Because you've made a fool of me. I wish I had my sword in my hand, for then I would kill you. Am I not your donkey, on which you have ridden all your life long to this day? Is it my habit to treat you in this way? No, he said. And then... God opened Balaam the prophet's eyes and he saw the angel. And the angel told him, I would have killed you these three times if it weren't for your donkey. <laughs> if God can speak to Balaam through a donkey, he can speak to you through me. or any preacher that is accurately explaining God's Word. You know, one of the most famous places in the ancient world was the oracle at Delphi, and people would come from all over, they'd pay big bucks, and they'd ask a question, and often they would get back these kind of ambiguous, cryptic answers. They didn't really feel like they got their money's worth a lot of time. God has given you reliable information about His will, about how to have a relationship with Him, how to avoid most of life's pitfalls, how to love people well. And the essentials are not ambiguous. They are not cryptic. Remember last week we were finishing up in John 17 and Jesus prayed that His disciples would be sanctified in the truth, transformed through the truth. Romans 12 says, do not be conformed to this world. You've got your old heart. You've got the world. You've got the devil trying to conform you to this world. It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. What a gift God has given us in the scriptures. For more than half of Christian history, most Christians couldn't read. And if they could read, they couldn't afford to have the scriptures. They couldn't afford a copy. Will you neglect so great a gift? Will you hear God's voice through a donkey, through me, through anyone, and commit yourself to recommit yourself, either commit yourself or recommit yourself to studying God's Word every day or almost every day and to going to worship almost every Sunday expecting to hear Jesus talk to you through the preacher, whoever the preacher is.
In Pilgrim's Progress, which was written in this period and which I urge you to reread or read for the first time, there's a stream that represents the Word of God. And in C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia, there's another stream, and I believe it also represents the Word of God. And in the Chronicles of Narnia, the Jesus figure is a huge lion named Aslan. And Aslan brings a girl who doesn't know him named Jill in the book The Silver Chair, brings her from earth through a portal to this land high above the land of Narnia. And Jill makes some mistakes, and she becomes very, very thirsty. And she follows the sound of running water, but there's this huge lion who she hasn't met yet, it's Aslan, that's between her and the stream. And she's petrified. She can't run. She figures the lion will get her. She can't go to the water. The lion's between her and the water. But she's the stream, and the sound is making her very, very thirsty. And so all of a sudden she hears, if you're thirsty, you may drink. And she looks around to see who it is, and then she hears again, if you're thirsty, you may drink. And she realizes it's coming from the lion. And she remembers she'd been told that animals can talk in this land. Are you not thirsty? I'm dying of thirst. Then drink. May I? Could, could I? Would you mind going away while I do? The lion answered this only by a look and a very low growl. And as Jill gazed at its motionless bulk, she realized that she might as well have asked the whole mountain to move aside for her convenience. The delicious rippling noise of the stream was driving her nearly frantic. Will you promise not to do anything to me if I do come? I make no promise. Jill was so thirsty now that without noticing it, she had come a step nearer. Do you eat girls? I have swallowed up girls and boys, women and men, kings and emperors, cities and realms, said the lion. Didn't say this as if it were boasting, nor as if it were sorry, nor as if it were angry. Just said it. I daren't come and drink. Then you will die of thirst. Oh, dear. I suppose I must go and look for another stream then. There is no other stream. God has given us His Word. He has given us all we need and His Spirit to guide us. There is no other stream. May your commitment to study and understand God's Word grow and may you find that God speaks to you through your study in wondrous ways. The book of Hebrews chapter 4 says, for the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And now, some parting words from Pastor Rick. As you go through this week, I urge you to really consider whether or not you want to increase your commitment to God's Word. And see if he doesn't speak right to your heart. Maybe just start small. Maybe five minutes a day. Receive God's Spirit. Now you, may you be filled with the Spirit and all the motivation you need to spend time with God and His Word each day. And may the Holy Spirit confirm in your heart the truth and confirm God's voice to you. God bless you. Go in peace. Thank you for listening. For more information about Carmel Presbyterian Church, visit our website at www.carmelpres.org or any of our social media pages. Have a blessed rest of your week.